probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is Jenny Law. And my favorite non-thing movie right today that features one of the cast members from this thing, from the thing, this thing, the thing, is Richard Mazur in Mazur, uh, sorry, in My Science Project, which is a movie that everyone should find and watch. I have never I heard know of him. Yeah. yeah, I know him from the TV movie of It. Oh, that's, that's right. It. And who are you? Oh, uh, I'm her <laughs> husband. Uh, I'm Liam Grove. Um, I sell wine, and I'm just a, a horror movie enthusiast. Uh, I am a, a good ways into a bottle of J&B to get into uh, the skin of Mr. McCready. Um, and at the moment, I'm wearing nothing but a blue terry cloth robe with yellow piping. <laughs> So, yes, we're definitely going to talk about that blue Terry Coloth robe. That's like the first <laughs> note I have. Um, so today uh, we are talking about minute 25 of the thing, uh, which begins with uh, the kind of zoom in for the first time to see uh, straight on the uh, the two-faced Mr. Double-Face, Melty Steamy Man. And then a minute later it ends with uh, Blair beginning to cut into it for the first time doing his, uh, doing his gross-looking autopsy. So yeah, let's uh let's start with that uh that ridiculous robe. Let's let's get right into that. So if we can we get a part here. I think I think by ridiculous you mean comfortable and classy. It does look odd. I mean, my first thought is um I was uh I went through a real James Bond phase. Uh, yes, exactly. A, a yes. couple years ago. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, there's this great podcast called James Bonding that I used to listen to, and they constantly referenced his uh James Bonds um or Sean Connery's James Bonds. Yes. Um, Liam's a huge fan of that podcast. Yes, Absolutely. it's fantastic. The, the the blue terry cloth references are all over the place and i was so excited when i got to pick apart this minute and i realized that's what he was wearing i was like is this guy a bond fan like what bond was out in 81 oh that's a good question uh, uh, i don't know if i can look that up i'll see if i can uh, find it really quick great this is like good podcasting one-on-one is like don't look up movies while you're podcasting. <laughs> but they do it on James Bonding all the time. They'll stop and do something. But yeah, to be caught asleep uh, at your at your station, you know, you do deserve a bit of a dressing down. But my favorite part of that little interaction that um, uh, Jerry and Windows have is, you know, he calls him. You know, he's like, stay on it. And then he walks away. But he holds his look at him as he's walking away. And just to put a little... A pin on that, like you asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I love that scene. It's <laughs> it's just so strange. Gary is such a weird character to me in general. Um, by the way, for your eyes only is 1981. Okay, uh, so no Terry Cloth robes or anything, but uh, I mean maybe I don't know. I, I don't think of Roger Moore when I think of Blue uh, Terry Cloth. <laughs> no, I mean I'm sure Blue Terry Cloth was involved at some stage, but yeah, I mean. I, you really do think of of the uh, 
the 60s Connery. Come on. They all had terry cloth in them up until like the late 80s. Mm. That was that's that's a it's a multi-use fabric. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly what's missing from the modern Bond franchise. I mean, that's that's what's, yes. that's the problem, obviously. I mean, we all know then, it. And I don't yeah. understand why they don't see it. They could just put like a little cuff of terry cloth somewhere. It would really boost it. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I like to think uh, now that this blue terry cloth robe has become so ingrained in my mind with, with Gary <laughs> that um, – <laughs> I like to think that during the day he likes to pretend he's like a sheriff from like the searchers <laughs> or like high noon or something. And by oh, night, wow. by night he has like this whole other James Bond persona that he goes by. It's like, cause he does have the bandolero. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. What I love about anything like that, when you have a plot where a bunch of people are, are away far away from civilization somewhere, but somebody has something ridiculous like that, like they had to get it shipped mm-hmm. with them. <laughs> So he had to fill out, you know, what was in his footlocker by weight so that they could pay for a helicopter to bring all of their shit. Right. So he had to justify, no, I'm, I need my blue terry cloth robe because that is my evening attire. No, important. he wore that on the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I like he to think that's a, it's like standard issue Antarctica, yeah. uh, Antarctic base. They all have he these. He didn't write that on anything. He had it on. <laughs> Um, well, if it was if it was standard issue for the base, it would have a logo or something on it. But that's really, true. I mean, all well, he that took it off is... just for the for the James Bond realism kind of thing. You know, he's a maverick. I mean he he cut the he cut that tag off. That was the identifying uh, company tag. All I see on that terry cloth robe are cognac and cum stains. <laughs> I think we've got our episode title right there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions, but they don't have to do with the thing. So they get a lot of time off. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not that. I have okay. other questions I'll ask you later. Um, <laughs> so if you think they're sick of the uh, let's make a deal videotapes, there's also other videotapes. Okay. They're really okay. Sick I, of, I get it. Because they've seen them. I get it. I get it. Let's talk about Windows. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about Windows. Um, I love that. Is Tom Waits. Have we seen him stand up yet? I cannot get over the fact that his name is Tom Waits. It's yeah, Thomas it's G. Waits. <laughs> yeah. He had, you know, he it's had like to Mark do that L. because Wahlberg. Tom Waits. Yeah. Well, who was in no SAG? Marcus L. Waltz? <laughs> right. Who was in SAG first? Like, what was Tom Waits's first movie? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Because he obviously claimed it. Well, maybe that guy didn't want to be known as Tom Waits. I don't know. I could have been. Yeah. Given his but, personality, I, mean, I think he really likes name being named uh having a name very similar to Tom Waits. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, Have we seen him standing yet on screen? That's a good question. Because yeah, they were all they were all out at the beginning. I don't know if he the, well, yeah, I think I don't think he was out there. I think the only ones that weren't out there in the very first scene are um Clark and Blair. I think he is out there, but it's hard to hard to tell. They're all wearing that like winter attire. Mm-hmm. Right. They all look very similar. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this I, I like this scene is such a goofy thing too, and I I love that um, the magazine that he's reading that photo play. Oh yeah, which yeah, I, we I looked that up because I thought it was I thought that was an old like porn mag. Yeah, porn mag. Yeah, but it's it's a it's a, like a film criticism magazine, isn't? It? Or like yeah, a, it's about film. It turned yeah. into uh, us, us weekly. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to. I tr- it. 
is weirdly difficult to find uh, find out information about old issues of Photoplay. It turns out um, I tried really hard to find this issue, and I found it. I found out it came out in March 1976, which means mm. you know, in, if this takes place in 1982, then uh, uh, they um, you know he's been reading the same magazine for six years. That's so cool well, that they found an uh, one that would have been old for this time. Yeah, I like really it was like still. That. Well, it stopped. A, it stopped like its final issue was in 1980. Yeah. Photo play. Sure. Yeah, so they had to go back and find an old one either way. Yeah. But yeah. yeah right. It's, but it's just a to, nice to give him to give him something that would have been sitting around for a long time and would have been read by a hundred people for a hundred yeah. times. That's really cool. And you want to hear something really crazy that I, I didn't yeah. know this when I started looking into it. It specifically mentions in the script that he's reading a photo play magazine. <laughs> Isn't that wow. odd? That's really funny. Um, huh. But yeah, it's uh, the issue is uh, um, it's where they they would do these awards every year for like best new actor and actresses and stuff like that, best new stars, and the uh, readers got to vote. And so I, I couldn't find a big picture of it, but I was able to make out that uh, some of the choices were uh, Cher, Burt Reynolds, Robert Redford, mm. and Elvis. And oh. uh, then I also like on the bottom of the cover, uh, it says um, plus a story on Cloris Leachman's unconventional marriage. <laughs> 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 that's awesome. Which you I know really what that's love. about? That's about that someone I touched. It's about the someone I touched movie. Don't know anything about that. I don't either. We watched it. Okay. We did. At some point, I'd watched enough trash on Netflix <laughs> that a new level opened up. And I had access to. <laughs> you love that yeah. achievement. Yeah. I had access to a whole, just, I don't know, just a bevy of. 70 movies from the 70s that were issue based so we had cocaine cocaine one man's journey and it's about a real estate agent who becomes addicted to coke and that's a fantastic and movie. james he, he james spader is his son and um that's it's right. just it's that. it's kind of unbelievable but there's one with cloris leachman where she sings sings the theme song and it's about she has been married for like 15 20 years and she gets gonorrhea and that's <laughs> right. That's I do remember that now. <laughs> she, oh, she gets shit. gonorrhea, and it turns it, <laughs> it turns out like her her husband had been like alley catting around on her with like the like a, a checkout girl at the local A and B. And the movie opens with him. I like the, the use alley catting as a verb. The um the the movie opens with the husband with Mr. Leachman going to the beach and interrupting the checkout girls beach volleyball game right. to tell her that that he that he has gonorrhea. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh my god! And the the theme song is "Someone I Touched." It's like that, and Cloris Leachman sings it. But oh the real god. twist. This is some M, M Night M Night Shyamalan. Bull, like shit the real twist is that the gonorrhea, the gonorrhea did not come from the 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 horror like the the cheating husband mr yeah. leachman it came from cloris leachman's co-worker that she fucked <laughs> wow so, goes she, around, comes around. so she was the gonorrhea carrier slash riddled with gonorrhea and she was the gonorrhea s yeah and so anyway so that 
I forgot how we got onto this, but <laughs> Flora Sleeman was featured in the photo play. Oh yeah, about yeah. Her un- unconventional marriage, where they just give gonorrhea to each other like they're passing around slices of watermelon. I mean, <laughs> if it works for you, that's cool. Uh, see, I'm gonna say that all that was a hundred percent intentional because of this movie's subtext about uh, about. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Venereal that was exactly, diseases. yeah. It's all Look, We're all talking tied about the together. 70s. It was venereal disease. VD. Yeah, right. Did they actually call it gonorrhea in that movie, or did yeah. they just say VD? No, they say VD a bunch, and they say gonorrhea a bunch. <laughs> and there's also a weird mechanized wooden statue of, like, a little man in the, in the office that she works what? in. That's heavily featured. I don't know. It might have watched her, watched while she and the coworker gave each other gonorrhea. I don't know. <laughs> But I'm just hoping we say gonorrhea at least 14 more times. <laughs> but also, I would like to take this opportunity because I'm a librarian to tell people and you, Harper, mm-hmm. that if you need to find old documents, old journals, magazines, books, you can always go to your local library and they have this thing called interlibrary loan. And if something's too old to be shipped to you, you can often request scans or photocopies of its pages so, for a small fee. So does that mean you guys are ready to re-record this episode after I get a chance to read through the entire <laughs> March of uh, 1976 issue of Photoplay? We, we can do a supplemental or auxiliary episode. <laughs> And I can help you procure what you need. I can see what I can find for you. Yeah, okay. do a bonus episode where you just talk about just all about the articles photo in play. that magazine. Yeah. <laughs> the photo play special. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Elvis was nominated for that horrible movie that he did with Mary Tyler Moore. That was my next, my next question. He was nominated for Best Actor? for. It's, it's the, like Best Star or something. It's much more uh, okay. generic than that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't find anything from the inside, just the cover. Anyway. Um, Terry cloth, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. I feel like we got really off topic here. <laughs> no, that's but... fantastic. No, so we'll say, save it for people... the photo play special. All right. Now, pe- now more VD. people know about someone I touch and I feel like I'm my You've done whole... your duty. Yes. And I even sang the, the theme song a little. The thing minute podcast, your source for Forrest Leachman VD news. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love uh, the opening to this little sequence between um, Jerry and windows that the camera starts behind the radio equipment. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, stuff in John Carpenter I mentioned before about his kind of use of um, of these kind of silent pans through empty rooms and things like that. There's a lot of voyeuristic stuff in a lot of his movies Definitely. too, um, especially, you know, the most famous one, the um, the POV shot uh, at the beginning of Halloween where he's you're just looking in through windows. But uh, I love the, the shots like this where it looks like we're intruding on something that we're not supposed to see, um, that we're, we're just kind of uh, outside observers. But ju- simply by placing the camera back like a foot and a half from where it would normally be. Yeah. And, and I think it's even in this case, it's an impossible shot, too. I think when we come back to this room, that's that table up against there. the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's very, very intentional. So, yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff, especially in the first half of this movie, when it is kind of just building up the tension where you get those shots where there's a lot of stuff in the foreground. So it seems like you're seeing it from the perspective of somebody kind of peering in or something. But I, I wonder if that was done it's kind of how the thing would see us. Right. You know, or, or is the camera in those instances, is it the outside observer is in the real outside observer of the thing, or is it just so that we get to get a little kind of a, a fly on the wall 
look into these guys' lives. Well, it's too and, tall to be the actual dog. Right. I don't think it's the, <laughs> the dog is not seeing is not living in the walls. No, but it's not, like, it's not like it hasn't leapt up. Even if it leapt up and had its paws on the table, it would it would be too tall. I think. You know, I do have to give this movie credit for not doing a first person POV dog shot. Yeah, that's true. Which, really, really not. They would they would absolutely succumb to that in every modern horror movie. If you were going to do this, where the dog was the enemy for the first third, you would do a handheld, you know, one foot like off a the dog ground shot. And like, <laughs> yeah, and like a fish eye lens, and it would just be god awful. And it would go, it would go down to the floor and sniff some dirt or right. some some disgusting thing, so you would know it was a dog. And then they would shove the camera into somebody's crotch, and we would all laugh. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that yeah. happening in a I different, feel sad. different movie. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing that I noticed about that, that scene with, um, with, uh, windows and Gary's, I, a teeny tiny detail that I never noticed, but, um, that Gary's carrying around the keys that you can hear him jingling oh, wow. when he kind of, yeah. he changes them hands and then he kind of jingles them in his hand a little bit when he leaves. And those keys play such a huge role. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. I, I, he always has them. Yep. I never thought about it at all until I started watching this super, super closely for the podcast that you can, they really do kind of very subtly play up who's got the keys and where they are. And you can kind of trace where they go missing and stuff. If you pay attention, it's, it's all in the sound editing, which is, you know, something that sure. is interesting to me for sure. But we, we didn't see them as they were panning across his butt for 45 minutes uh, in the last uh, shot. Uh, like they would, they weren't on a little belt loop key ring or anything. Yeah. That's interesting that they didn't take that opportunity. Yeah. Because they would have been right in the foreground in close up, like you would have really known, like those those keys are on him. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I never noticed it before. Yeah. Well, he's getting ready for bed. You know, he's got to make sure that he puts away his he's stuff. Locking where it's supposed it up. To be. And, you know, doing doing his Do whole we... Mister Rogers routine, probably <laughs> right. ready to bed. <laughs> those key, those oh, keys. he has. Yeah. Those keys are power. Sure. So he's in his robe. He's locking up. He's got the keys. He's in charge. You know where he puts them before he goes to sleep? I don't want to know. In a slipper. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's got matching blue terrycloth slippers with yellow oh, piping. You know it does, does have yellow piping. Okay. You know he does. Do we... You don't think they're yellow <laughs> slippers with blue piping? Holy shit. You just that just turns the, the whole up. world upside down. Yeah. <laughs> do, do we see in this shot whether he has pants on? Uh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, not sure. I like to think he doesn't. Um, yeah, I don't want to know if he does. <laughs> no, Gary, Gary wears a jammy pant. I mean, that's probably, it's true. in his face. It's probably He's got cowboys on, on it or something. He's, I'm seeing trains. No, it's a plaid. It's a plaid. Aww. Plaid. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of imagination. It, it stops at the robe. <laughs> <laughs> his imagination stops at the robe. <clears throat> His eyebrows are majestic. They are pretty they, wild. They, I, if anyone wants to start a petition for his eyebrows to be um, named our national bird, <laughs> uh, that would be kind of wonderful. Um, so I see them flapping. <laughs> there is a. Uh, there are other things that happen in this minute outside of the uh, outside of the radio room sequence that we get for like outside of 10 seconds. Right. <laughs> um, so we do get a, a great uh, scene of the beginning of the, um, the autopsies of the, the dead Norwegian, as well as Mr. Doubleface. Um, the, the autopsy to find out how they died. 
Right. <laughs> which is just hilarious to me. This pile of charred fingers. <laughs> do, do you really think that he, you know, you know, he died of old age, Wilford. He lived a full life as a pile of <laughs> random limbs. <laughs> I really love how suited up Wilford Brimley is and how confused he is at the same time. Yeah. Like he's got a look on his face. <laughs> he does have a great kind of like, like bewildered. He, yeah. Yeah. Like he is not sure why he's even here. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing and he's going to go along with it, but he's just not sure. Well, if you're the doctor at a 12 man Antarctic research station, what exactly are you going to be doing? Nobody's going to get VD like Clarice Leachman, mm-hmm. right? Basically, you're going to be making sure that no one gets too drunk, or if they do fall down and hit their head, you're going to put an ice pack on it. Mm-hmm. You're going to control the amount of morphine that is dosed out. Is he the only doctor? I believe so. Then what the hell is that other guy doing with the? <laughs> the yeah, he's just, he's just playing around with a dead Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, it's not real clear what they all do. And I, I, th- I think I think uh, Blair it might actually be a biologist, and, and okay. Copper might oh, be like he runs the actual the, the amazing computer program too. That's true. He does. He manages the the impossible computer program. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I th- actually, I think Fuchs that's in the background here is also might be a biologist of some sort. Uh, he's the only person that actually talks about science. He proves he's a biologist by sniffing burnt underwear. It's true. Okay. It's, that's a did great the underwear, Did the underwear come from the Norwegian or somehow it stayed intact enough on the burning pile of limb rubble for him to retrieve it and then sniff it? Which one? Well, we never saw Mr. Doubleface's crotch. It has a crotch? I don't it know has, if it has probably a crotch. Probably several crotches. <laughs> so. yeah, it's, it's really in the middle. It's just a blur well, of crotches. I mean, it's got a lot. It has of, a baker's dozen of crotches. It has a lot of orifices. I mean, that <laughs> right off the bat, you know, it's got a lot of orifices. But crotch, I don't know. I'm not. You know, you know, I never um, until I started watching this this closely. I it never occurred to me to ask whose underwear that is or where that came from, <laughs> um, because you know I always assumed because you know the the like tearing I through the, the same underwear on the house several times a day. <laughs> yeah, it never occurred to me to ask whose underwear that is. But no, I, you know the 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 torn underwear becomes such a plot device later in the movie that I always forget that that's hasn't come up yet at this point. Like right. I always think it's one of the guys on the crew, but yeah, I have no idea where they got that from. I assume they pulled it out of the, out of the snow with him, but they brought back the Mr. Double face in the giant blanket. Right. They never really show how the other, the dead Norwegian. Oh, that was the guy they shot in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. But that's on his underwear that's burned unless they just burned it for fun. <laughs> Yeah, I have no well, idea where that came from or why he's would, smelling it so intently. Yeah, but how, <laughs> how would the underwear have stayed on that such, such a charred body? Right. Or was it maybe just nearby? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Cause the I other... love the idea of McCready going, all right, get a shovel, pick up that guy. And, oh, that underwear over there, we're going to need that too. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. might be salvageable. <laughs> Harper, I'm going to go back a minute. So yeah. you've always thought it was like Windows' underwear? Or I, I mean, I Gary's guess or something. I either didn't notice it, or I just assumed it had something to do with that that plot point that becomes so important later on, where you know mm-hmm. they find McCready's and yeah, Null says somebody threw it in the trash, and you know I, I guess I just always kind of associated it with that, so I never really questioned where it came from. But I, obviously, okay. none of that stuff's happened yet, so I don't know who's it yeah. is or why they're. It, 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 what I'm getting at is, I guess it makes me wonder if this scene was in a different place originally. 
Like maybe mm. this came after the, yeah. the Nulls uh, discovered that torn underwear in the trash or something. Because yeah. otherwise, I just I don't know where it came from or why he's like no. studying it I so closely. I think it's Mr. Doubleface's underwear. Well, and he tore it off right before he started changing into Mr. Doubleface, and it got burned. And McCready said, "We're going to need that shit." Well, see, when your underoos have like three leg holes, that's a dead giveaway. Right <laughs> <laughs> when you have to order out for custom underwear because you have too many appendages. Three leg holes and an armhole. You got you got a situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think otherwise it's got to be from one of the two. I mean, otherwise you have a subplot of Fuchs just being a creepy undie sniffer. <laughs> Right, which I'm not opposed That's right, to. Because he's full on sniffing. I mean, That's he's full right. on face first. That underwear might not even have anything to do with what's going on in this room. He might just carry that around all the time. And when he feels he feels anxious, it's he like just a safety the blanket. Exactly. Maybe it's his own. He just really <laughs> likes the smell. It's comforting. It's comforting. I mean, some people like to smell the it's, stuff. I it's guess. like a thunder shirt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> underwear. Oh, you had to do it. So here's something disturbing about this autopsy scene is that uh, Brimley has rubber gloves on. Mm-hmm. No, just full stop there. That's disturbing. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, uh, so, but the blood on his hands goes all the way up to where, right where the gloves stop. Mm-hmm. So if he was wearing gloves that were one millimeter shorter, he would just have blood on his arm. Oh, and Copper's got blood all over his arms. <laughs> right. So, and they talk later on of, that one cell of the thing can turn you into a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So this beca- this whole scene becomes unbearably disturbing. That they're just rubbing thing parts all over themselves. <laughs> yeah. So th- that that uh, actually, I'm I'm trying to at the end of each week, I'm kind of asking the question, and th- this seems like the obvious place to bring it up is. Who is the thing at this point? I mean, who do, who do you guys think has been infected up to this point in the movie based on, on what we've seen? I mean, and, and what you just said really throws into question these two guys. Well, clearly Fuchs is if he's that into underwear. <laughs> There's something going on there. <laughs> I mean, look. Let's, so, well, okay, we let's know- not be judgy of those who like underwear. I mean, that's fine. It's a personal I really don't thing. want to alienate my listeners who, yeah, are, you, know, you know, that's their yeah. thing. If you yes, like yeah. to carry around burnt underwear and sniff it whenever you get upset, it's when you're fine. in an Antarctic science station, we will embrace you. Just as loved. long as you're not the thing. Yeah. And no you got to prove it. You got to prove it. Hmm. I will judge you if you're the thing. So who's I been mean, taken over here? Hmm. Based on the the <laughs> dog the dog walking into the room with the shadow mm-hmm. and the shape of that shadow's head. I really think it's um, what's his name? Shoot, Palmer. Richard Mather. No, no, no. The guy who looks kind of like the the guy who cleans the wounds in the Princess Bride. <laughs> what? <laughs> he has the same face. He's probably not the same person. But hold on one second. Are you well, talking you about go. you go? The, the dog kennel scene hasn't happened yet, right? Because they've just gone. Yeah, they've gone to the Norwegian yet. camp and back, and that's it. So uh, I, I think Richard Mather definitely. Oh no, we find out he's human. Later. Yeah, he's never he never does. He never was. Things. That's right. But, but we at do this find point, that, he certainly seems like he could be. Right, Brimley, I think has just been infected. All right, just based on his interaction with it here. His, his inter- there's no way it's we've we know later on that Mister Doubleface is still alive. Correct. Right. He's got crap all over him. 
he's not doing a very professional medical procedure. He's he's basically just doing what you would do to a carcass to get it ready for the butcher shop. Right. And we, you know, I, we find we he is the he is a thing by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of that time, he was locked up on his own. Not to say that the thing couldn't have gotten into that cabin, but I really think this is the most logical explanation for where he got in contact with it. Dude. Copper. Copper. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm trying to remember if we ever know anything about him because oh, he gets his arms bitten off. I don't, I think they do test his and he's not, not the thing. Okay. I believe after he's dead. So the only other person. So I think it's Vance. I, sorry, I had to look up his name. Oh, no, I think uh, it's Norris? Vance. Yeah, Norris. Vance, Norris, yeah. Norris Vance. A Vance, Vance Norris, Norris Vance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I, that's that's what I tend to think too. Nor- Norris seems like I mean th- we know there's two guys later on that are um, that are infected for sure between um, Norris and Palmer, and one of them must be the one who gets infected with the you know the, the mysterious shadow. But you know there's no way to tell. So I I tend to lean towards it being Norris. Yeah. Norris and Palmer, right? But yeah, I think that to me the central mystery, like the one that I'm really trying to dig in in this uh, minute by minute rewatch and figure out is when exactly Blair gets infected. Cause it's really muddy. Well, right. I mean, this is, this seems dying. like the obvious place where he would, yeah. but then again, like we still later on, he's looking at a computer simulation. Like why would he be doing that on his own? If he's already taken over, unless he's not fully taken over yet. I don't think yeah. he's fully taken over when you get fully taken over, when it explodes and digests you and makes a copy of you, mm. that's, that happens all within 10 minutes or so. And you're, you're, but it gestates you're for a, a thing. while. Okay, yeah. But he, this, he, it, he's getting taken over cell by cell from this moment on. I could buy that, yeah. That he, he's, the, he, he's the thing's doing it the old-fashioned way, if you will. When are you asking for its hand in marriage? <laughs> <laughs> it's waiting until one minute after midnight on its 18th birthday and writing it a letter, letter proposal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's definitely playing it pretty loose here, you know, with this possibly alien, some kind of, you know, foreign organism that he's just kind of digging all into. And yeah, you're would right. You, th- those gloves are 100 percent Doubleface. Uh, no. Would you touch Mr. Doubleface even with a gloved hand? I don't know that I would. I double glove and then I might touch him. If you have any medical training or even any common sense as a human being, I wouldn't be in the same room with that thing. Well, I think. I mean, I don't know if they have a station set up like this, but couldn't you do one of those things where it's in a it's it's hermetically sealed, and then yeah. you stick your hands through the gloves that like sure like that seems that, like a better plan in that stupid movie Life we just watched. Uh, I was oh, thinking the same sh- thing. Oh god, yeah, let's not bring that piece of garbage. Up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess they wouldn't necessarily have something like that on the Antarctic base though, because yeah. uh, although there are plenty of biologists, I don't really know what there is for them to study. I mean, maybe they're looking for like microorganisms or something. Maybe they're more like yeah. microbiologists, but yeah, they yeah. don't seem equipped yeah. to handle this kind of thing. I don't know if I've ever asked this question, but what the fuck are they doing down there? Yeah, it's Does really anyone know? not clear. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the script, it's a little bit more clear about what everybody's job is, but it's still not really uh, clear why, what this base is doing, like what the point of this base is in general, what they're researching or, you know, actively. I know there's some weather stuff going on because um, Bennings and Norris are both meteorologists. And in the script, there's more about them, like actually actively doing meteorology related stuff. <laughs> but um, right. But yeah, other than that, I don't really know what the whole purpose Bennings of this base is. Bennings has a job? Yeah. 
I don't know if I buy that. He, he the only thing that in that's in the movie that actually uh, is evidence of it is when they're just before they fly to the Norwegian base. He's the one that says, like, talks tells them about the weather, like that it would be dangerous to fly. So he's a meteorologist. <laughs> yep. That doesn't sound very official. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, like guys, anybody could have said that. Guys, it looks real <laughs> shitty out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it is. It's not particularly clear why they're all here. That's, I guess that's something Carpenter chose to kind of discard in favor of of other. He thought it, uh, there were other things more important to to. Uh, yeah, to and I I actually dig that that you don't get ten minutes of their daily lives. Like this movie starts with the dog hitting, you know, with the the inciting incident happens three seconds in. Right. I, I love that, but it is. <laughs> you stop and think. Like most of these guys don't seem to give a fuck about anything. Yeah, very true. Do you think that if Blair has, is being infected right here, do you think there's like a disorientation that happens when it's first introduced? That might be why... Why he goes nuts with the axe? Well, no. I mean, in this in this sequence in particular, and I'm sorry it goes into the next minute a little bit, but why he's like, these organs are perfectly normal, and he's pulling out these things that look like Swedish fish organs. <laughs> You know, like, do you think that's a possibility that he's like kind of disoriented because it's entering his system? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, in the novella, mm-hmm. it's it's not so much that Blair gets infected. It's that he literally just goes insane. OK. He like goes crazy. Um, they have to lock him up. Uh, well, I, did, I have one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, about the close to the end of this minute uh, before we before we wrap up. And that is sure. the very strange line of uh, yes, um, nothing wrong with this Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with this Norwegian, not physiologically anyway. Right. Which applies, well, nothing outside of him being a filthy Norwegian. <laughs> right. There's definitely some anti-Norwegian stuff going on. Here. I mean, the way he says nothing wrong with this Norwegian makes it sound like like a Norwegian is like another species or something. Like yeah. it's, so, it's such a strange way to say it. Like, can he say like nothing wrong with this guy or th- this, you know, nothing wrong with this yeah, guy that, that tried to kill us all, you know, like there's doesn't say so person. Strange. Like yeah. he might have well just said, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with this couch. Well, I took it to mean it was kind of a, an attempt at a joke. Like there's nothing wrong with him. Except for being dead. Oh, yeah, except for being dead? dead? Yeah. Oh, I thought uh. it was except for being fucking Norwegian. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe I tend to air like go on the side of like not making fun of a whole country, but maybe just in my head, maybe I'm I make saying, it, maybe I, I dress it up and make it better, but that's how I've always read it. What happened to Copper's family from the Norwegians that turned them all racist against uh, Scandinavians? Something very personal to him, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are Scandinavians I don't a know. race? Where's Norway? Oh my god. <laughs> okay. But, I think we, we're getting. <laughs> it's getting late. <laughs> so there's a lot of J and B that's flowed through. <laughs> so yeah, I, I always thought that was funny. I think that's might be one of the last times they referenced the Norwegians, and you know, but the whole movie up to this point, they've kind of been making fun of them with uh, between. The Norwegian, like, cartoonishly dropping his grenade to uh, uh, Mac, constantly, you know, calling them Swedes and everything. There's, uh, it's, it's definitely kind of weirdly making fun of Nor- uh, Norwegian people, and I always thought that was kind of strange. It is, and it, he, he immediately says, there's nothing wrong with this Norwegian, no drugs, no boobs. Yeah. Why? Those were the two things you were testing for? Well, I guess they're trying like, to figure out, like, why he was just going insane, like maybe he yeah, was on, like, yeah. LSD or something. 
maybe look at the next table over where you have <laughs> Mr. Doubleface. That might be a clue to what was going on over there. And I don't think it was drugs or booze. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I, I, you have to wonder what's even going through their heads at this point. Like, I, if this was a real situation, I would have no fucking clue what was going on with, with oh, yeah. like, what, what, how these two things are related. And especially given that the guy was trying to kill the dog, like, what are those, how do those things possibly connect yeah. with this weird, you know, yeah, creature that just, they found? They're very calmly just poking things and the, the way they reacted to Double Face sitting there. And especially on the end of that table, there's a foot sticking out that's got about 15 toes on it. Right. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, that's eh, pretty weird. I don't know. He's just kind of calmly taking it all in. Yeah, they are kind of weirdly calm in this scene, right? But I guess they've had some time to let it sink in, and now they're just getting down to business, maybe. Are they are they still in shock? I mean, yeah. that's possible, too. Well, like, okay, when do they have to kill the guy at the beginning of the movie? Was that, like, 12 hours ago? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, I'll... Uh, a pre- previous guest of the show, Todd, who runs Outpost31.com, they have this like exhaustive timeline of when everything happens. Um, I'll have to, really? have to look at that. Yeah. It seems to me like this is like later that night. Like if if I had to guess, like that was early in the morning when the dog showed up and then they flew out to the base and came back before nightfall. And now it's that night. Right. So this has all happened pretty quickly because otherwise you'd think they would have maybe already done the autopsy on the on on the Norwegian. Like why they wouldn't have waited. Well, yeah, I don't know. But it seems like it hasn't been that long. So, yeah, maybe they are still in some kind of shock. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, at the very least, you'd think they'd be excited. There's something to do besides watching Let's Make a Deal. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I think I'm kind of out of notes for this minute. We, we've we've talked about the terry cloth. We talked about uh, the keys. And we talked about the uh, dirty endy smelling. Um, There's a little bit of a an epilogue just to our five minutes. Sure. I think it's really interesting the amount of ground that's been covered. Yeah. And in that, in this five minutes, we have established, you know, we have the established haunted house with the, um, the Norwegian base. Um, so we have haunted house horror, we have body horror, we have creature feature, and now we have like the suspense and the psychological horror that's starting to appear in this group of guys and the fact that there are all those things at play and they all work is pretty amazing. And this is a cool five minutes where things really ramp up. I mean, at the beginning of this, all they know is that there's a strange mystery going on. And at the end of this, they're all like, this is uh, kind of spiraling out of control and we don't really understand anything. Yeah, that's true. This, this, this set of five minutes is really kind of where things escalate a lot. And yeah, I think you're right, Jenny. I think I never thought about it that way, but that might be one of the things that really sets this movie apart in terms why one of the reasons why it is such a classic and, and why it's such one of the greatest horror movies ever made is that it does balance all kinds of different horror subgenres mm-hmm. really, really well. It's not just mm-hmm. focused on on one particular idea. It it really kind of envelops a lot of those um a lot of those tropes in a really interesting way and, and balances them really, really well. It doesn't you know, it doesn't seem like it kind of goes one way or the other, which is really cool and yeah. impressive. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason I'm, uh, you know, putting myself through this while <laughs> watching it one minute at a time. It's it's such an awesome There's movie, a lot so. there, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, uh, this is kind of your last last day of the week for the uh, for the podcast. Any any last cracks at the bat? Any any other kind of notes you wanted to mention about the movie or, or these minutes? I'll say that it, this movie kind of had me from the beginning, 
the the score and the tone of it were just kind of really got into my brain as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to the end of this movie, it was so unlike anything else that was going on at that time. Um, you know, I so I was three when it came out, so I probably saw it when I was about somewhere eight and ten or something. Mm-hmm. And by that time, Hollywood had gone into full, uh, you know, kind of uh, cookie cutter action and horror movies that were very over the top. And the ending of this movie is so perfect and downbeat and mysterious. And to go out on two guys sitting at e- and looking at each other as a campfire dies. I had never seen anything like that. And it, it, it really got to me. And I, I was like, this is my thing, you know? And, uh, oh, that's a really bad pun, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, and then I started telling people like in school about it and, and nobody else was into it at all because everyone else was into the bigger stuff that was going on at the time. But it was like, it was like my little secret great horror movie that, um, not a lot of other people were into. So I held on to it like that for a long time. And yeah. it was, it's really all about the last, two minutes not that everything else isn't great but that's what made it so unique to me is uh it, it was very daring i think to me to to see a movie go out like that where you did it not only was it not happy but it was very subtle you know yeah it's definitely one of the most unique endings in in horror history for sure um especially for a movie that you know provides so much uh so much mystery in the beginning and then you find out what's going on and and then but the whole movie is about the mystery of who's who and and, uh, you know, even when they know how it works, they still don't know how to survive it. So to leave that mystery open-ended at the end is is incredibly bold and, and kind of terrifying in its own way. And, to, yeah, to have the protagonists not know if they accomplish their goal mm-hmm. and to, to leave that question in the audience's mind. And, and yeah, to have it as a, as a who's who movie where you don't find out who's who. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't get an answer to that question. And uh, and you have to kind of tr- it was it gave the audience a bit of trust, you know. You you don't see a lot of horror movies that assume your audience is smart enough to figure it out, or or to give them the option to figure them it out themselves. Um, and I really dig that. Jenny, anything you wanted to add before we before we wrap up? I'm really a sucker for kind of capsule stories, and so that was one of the things that first struck me when I finally saw this movie. How perfectly it the environment of the film lends itself to that, but mm. they, it's further, there's further insulation out of necessity of like against the elements against themselves. I mean, you can see they're all doing different things to keep themselves occupied so they don't get stir crazy. Mm. Um, and so I think that's really interesting. And as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've noticed is of course it's all men and there are, definitely macho elements to it Mm -hmm. but none of the characters to me none of the characters are like caricatures of that to the point where i don't feel like i can enjoy slash kind of put myself in that in that place yeah um as a woman so it's not it's interesting yeah it's not like a wall of machismo right it's not predator where it's there's a lot of like muscle flexing but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of power struggles yeah yeah and I also think that the, it's really interesting that there are some moments where they deal with race. Yeah. Um, and those come up later, of course. I don't want to, you know, steal other people's minutes. But, you know, I think that it does a lot of brave things for the time that it was made. And I just 
I just think it's, it's pretty, pretty great. I mean, like Liam said, it trusts the audience. It gives you, it trusts that you're going to be paying attention and that you're following along and that you're going to get it. So you don't have an Altman situation where it focuses on the keys for like almost a minute and then it goes, you know, mm. it, it, it trusts you to, yeah. to figure it out. And I always like that. I think I like being entrusted in that way with movies. Uh, movies like this that have their own internal logic that you can really follow down. I mean, they, they do lend themselves much more to rewatching. Um, you know, there, if there's a thousand minute by minute podcasts, I bet most of those movies don't hold up to the level of scrutiny that that kind of podcast demands. But uh, this one does. I mean, there's a lot going on in every scene. So uh, good choice. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I figured as a, you know, I, I, I first picked it just cause it's one of my all time favorite movies, but you know, as I started thinking about it, it's like, yeah, that's, there's so much to discuss from, you know, there's so many different kind of thematic readings you can have into what's going on. And, and then of course the, where it kind of, the place it holds in horror history in terms of special effects and, and John Carpenter's filmography and that kind of thing. But also just, you know, a big chunk of what we spent this week talking about is, you know, just theorizing about the, like you said, the internal logic of what's going on in the movie and how things work and what's happening. And yeah, there's just tons to discuss. It's so, it's a movie that I, I don't feel like at this point I could possibly get sick of. I've, I've seen it so many times and, and watched it in such detail and I still love it to death. So, and I bet everybody who's seen it a thousand times has different opinions on it. Yeah. So I, I envy you in hearing all of those. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thank you guys so much for coming on this week. This has been super, super fun. Even if I will never get AT porn burned out of my brain. It is, uh, Neither been, will we. It has been well worth it. So thank you so much for coming on, y'all. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah. this is great. This is fantastic. It was Thanks. a lot of fun. Cool. So for listeners, if you like the show and want to support us, uh, podcasting is free for you, but un unfortunately it's not free for the people doing it uh, entirely. So if you do want to support the show, um, go to thethingminute.com slash Amazon. If you just click on that link or go to that URL, you anything you order on Amazon, we get a small percentage of that um, at no extra cost to you. And that can help cover you know server costs and hosting fees and that kind of stuff. You can also just donate directly to the show with the donate button on the bottom of the website at thethingminute.com. Um, every little bit helps us out. So we, we really appreciate any support that you can provide. So uh, listeners, if you are still human by Monday morning, then make sure to come back for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper.